1: Hello, I'm Peter King, welcome to the MMQB Podcast with Peter King, where I take you inside the minds of the biggest influencers in the NFL. This week, an unusual podcast. At the recent NFL meetings, I asked 10 NFL coaches about why a mom in Middle America, and I use Dubuque, Iowa, I just have always liked Dubuque, Iowa, why she should allow her son to play football. Got some very good answers from 10 thoughtful NFL coaches. And then a conversation with Mike Vrabel, the rookie head coach of the Tennessee Titans. But first, you know, in this job, as the draft approaches, one of the most interesting things that I do is I try to predict behavior of men in the NFL who do not want anyone to have any idea what they're going to be doing on draft night. And I could come up with scores of examples and have on this podcast, but I can just tell you that most of the people who are going to decide their team's pick, especially near the top of this draft, are keeping it hidden from everybody who works in their organization, from families, from friends, just because it doesn't do them any good if people in the outside world get a whiff of what they're going to do. Now, we look at the top of this draft this year, and usually you you, you can say, here's where the real confusing point will be, and you can pick a team or two that uh, you really don't have any idea what they're going to do. They haven't—there's been no white smoke signals coming out of their chimney in their facility. And that spot this year, as I talk to people around the league, is number 2 with the New York Giants. So the Cleveland Browns pick one. And look, I, I just will tell you, I will be very, very surprised at number 1 if the Browns don't pick a quarterback— Now, I don't know who it's going to be. I think it's probably either Sam Darnold of USC or Josh Allen of Wyoming. But again, I don't know who they're going to pick at number one. But it stands to reason that they've brought in a general manager and they have not had a long-term quarterback of the future, really, since they drafted Tim Couch in 1999. That, of course, is the first year that the Browns were back in business after the original Cleveland Browns with Paul – with. Art Modell moved to Baltimore uh, after the 1995 season. But so you say to yourself, okay, this is draft number 20 for the Cleveland Browns, and they're still looking for Mr. Goodbar. That's why even though the Browns also pick at number four, I'd be very surprised if general manager John Dorsey does not pick his favorite quarterback, and his top-rated quarterback with the first overall pick in the draft. Okay, so that's number one. Now we go to number two, and here's why the Giants are so confusing to people around the NFL. One general manager who's picking in the top 12 of this draft, I had a conversation with him recently, and he just said, look, the reason why the Giants are so confusing is twofold. Dave Gettleman, the general manager of the Giants, does things obviously he does things in a very private way but he's not a flashy guy and so he believes in building a team you know with the two lines with the offensive line and the defensive line and then he be- he believes in building a team with a strong running game if you look at his drafts when he was in carolina you see a meat and potatoes guy so What will the Giants do at number two, needing a quarterback with Eli Manning being 37 years old, needing a quarterback of the future? Um, I think there are a lot of people out there who believe that the best player in this draft is Saquon Barkley, the Penn State running back. And because the Giants have been awful in the running game for years now, that, uh, that Dave Gettleman is going to solve that problem and finally get a long-term running back that the Giants really haven't had, uh, I would say really in a generation. They have scotch-taped the running back position together for quite some years now. And so I uh, there's a lot of people who feel that way, but there's also a lot of people who feel like, hey, the Giants are going to trade and get a ransom for this pick. I believe if they move down with Buffalo, To number 12, they could get three first round picks Buffalo's two picks this year and Buffalo's uh, first round pick in 2019. They might even be able to get more than that. And if that happens, clearly Buffalo will go quarterback uh, with the second overall pick. Now let's go to number three. And the reason why number three is so interesting is that we know the New York Jets are going to take a quarterback. There's no doubt in anyone's mind around the league they're going to take a quarterback. But having said that, I think they're at the mercy of what the New York Giants do at number two. Not only who the Giants might take, but if either Miami, which wants a quarterback, or Buffalo, which also wants a quarterback, trade up then instead of the Jets just sitting there at number three and getting either Josh Rosen or Baker Mayfield, they may have to get their second choice, uh, even though they've traded all the way up to number three. So that's one of the reasons why I think this draft is so enticing. I was talking to Rich Eisen recently. He's going to host it on NFL Network, and he said, I think this is going to be the best draft we've seen. Just because of the drama involved, all the marquee, potential franchise players up at the top and how this draft basically falls off the cliff a little bit after picks 9, 10, 11, 12. So if teams want to get, you know, a franchise-type defender or offensive player, they're probably going to have to get up around, you know, no lower, let's say, than number 12. So, again, two weeks left to the draft, And to me, the biggest question surrounds what Dave Gettleman will do with his new team, the New York Giants. And now my conversations with 10 NFL head coaches. So to tell you how I did this, I asked all 10 coaches at the recent NFL meetings, why should a mom in Dubuque, Iowa, allow her son to play football? Got some very interesting answers. And let's start. With Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs,
4: I think uh, this this game teaches you all the values um, of life. It's a microcosm of life, and so, um, and, and the way the the rules are set now for uh, for injury, um, it, we're taking that kind of the the head part of it out of the game. Um, that, that it's as safe as it's ever been right now. And, um, and, and so uh, the, these, these life values, I think, way overrule um, any of the injury. I think if you look at any sport, you're, you're vulnerable to being hurt. So I think it's a whole different mindset. You've gone from you're, – you're, and we're really getting to that point where it's not about the injury more. It's about this question you're asking me of the values that you learn Uh, uh, through the sport that you have a chance to play this one drives you uh, to to where you question if I could take another step right physically uh, which leads into the mental toughness part of it um, which leads I got knocked down can I get myself back up these are all things that help you in life I think and and uh, during tough times and there, there are all kinds of tough times in life, as you and I know, because we're not getting any younger.
1: And now Sean Payton with the New Orleans Saints.
5: Mother in Dubuque, Iowa, and a father in New Orleans and Dallas want their sons to play football because of the lessons. Uh, so many life lessons. It's a safe sport. Uh, it teaches leadership. It teaches uh grit and overcoming adversity. My son Connor's a junior. They moved him to linebacker. Now I'm going to say in the last five years, you know, we have these moments where we talk and you're in a sport like this and your buddies may be starting and you might not be in the starting lineup. It happened to me as a high school junior. And you have those low moments and then you continue to practice, you continue to fight, and then you get those opportunities and have success. And you realize it's just like life. So, I think I think it brings so much to the character and the building of the character of an individual. Uh, and it might be flag football till a certain age. Connor played tackle football at a young age. I felt really good about the coaches, his uh, in his league over in Mandeville, but. It's the, great, it's the greatest sport for our kids, and, and, and we can and are making it safe. And uh, I think the biggest thing is the information, not the misinformation. And, and I think uh, the rewards far outweigh uh, the negatives. Here's John Gruden
1: of the Oakland Raiders. It's the greatest game there is.
4: I mean, you learn the greatest lessons in life. You learn how to be physically tough and mentally tough. And you learn about teamwork and accountability and sportsmanship. And I could go on and on and on. It's the greatest game there is. And there are risks, but there's also risks involving anything. So, uh, you know, live in your hopes, not in your fears. If your kid wants to play, let him play and support him, and he'll get some of the great benefits in the world by playing this game. I believe
5: that.
1: Here's Pittsburgh coach Mike Tomlin.
5: Because I think it teaches valuable life lessons, you know, hard work, teamwork, Um, commitment to calls that are bigger than ourselves I just think there's so many lessons from participation in team sports and football in my opinion is the ultimate team sport. We, we talk a lot about what needs to be done, and we haven't talked about what we've done. And I think that we should highlight that. Uh, we've done uh, a lot of things in recent years to improve the, the quality of the game and the safety within the game uh, at all levels. And uh, so, you know, I, I think that's being addressed. I think that should be talked about more as opposed to what is not being done.
1: Now Anthony Lynn of the Los Angeles Chargers.
5: It's a great team sport. I think you learn a lot about yourself. You learn a lot about life. Uh, I know what I know. I can only tell you what football has done for me. You know, as a young man, it just taught me how to interact with different people from different backgrounds, and uh, you know, it, I developed a little grit, a little toughness. And uh, you know, we're doing everything we can right now to make the game as safe as possible, from the equipment to how we practice, to the techniques that we're teaching. And you know, I, I can't say enough about how the NFL has stepped up in, in that area, working with people from different backgrounds, different different races. Uh, learning how to trust and and be a team player I think I think that's life you know it's not a private world you know and you gotta go out and interact you gotta be relational you know I, I think I'm a better communicator and relationship guy because of my years playing football
1: so to refresh John Harbaugh head coach Baltimore Ravens why should a mom in Dubuque, Iowa allow her son to play football
3: we talk about this every year Peter it's a good conversation that we have um I'm a believer in football. I think you are too. You know the values that it teaches and the opportunities that it gives kids, the difference it makes in their lives. You know, I, I don't really know of, of any. I've never met someone, and there's probably somebody out there. I've never met somebody that played high school football, for instance, and and was a part of a team like that and looks back at it and says, "Man, I really regret doing that." You know, the more often that people get done playing football, young men get done playing football, and for the rest of their lives they consider themselves a football player. You know, I was a football player. And, and all of us can recount, no matter what level we got to, my level not very far, but you can always look back and, and remember your finest hour as a football player. And then really what it goes back to is the camaraderie, the lessons learned, the discipline, um, the, 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 the ability really to, 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 to listen, to, to do what you're told, you know, to fit into the team, to play a role, to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself, and to do it in a sport that's kind of tough. You know, it's kind of a challenging sport. It's not easy to go out there and play football in August when it's, you know, 95 degrees in Dubuque, Iowa, and human as can be, you know, probably next to a cornfield somewhere. And then all of a sudden at the end, you know, the end of beginning of November, you're in a championship game and it's it's 2 degrees outside. You know, that's something that that sticks with young men for the rest of their lives. And I think football coaches all across America are are on the front lines of all the social issues in this country and they're helping moms teach boys how to become men because of the values that the game teaches and there are other ways they can learn that too but i don't know that there's a better one than football for young men and here's the other thing peter it's like any any almost any kid can play football you know you don't have to you don't have to have a a great handle on the ball to make the football team you don't have to be a great shooter there's only 12 guys usually that make a high school basketball team all right so it's how many guys can be on the tennis team how many kids can play on the hockey team football if you go out for football pretty much you're on the team you you can do it. You can be a part of something uh, that's going to give you a sense of worth, you know, and being something bigger than yourself. So, football is a beautiful sport. They're doing a great job with safety. You know, I've seen some studies, and, and we have to we have to continue to improve the safety part of it. But that's true for all sports. You know, my daughter plays lacrosse. Concussions in lacrosse are high. You know, concussions are a part of all these sports. If you look at the numbers, and 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 high school football is not really any higher. My understanding of it than some of the other sports, but The nature of the game, it's a contact sport, better helmets, do a great job of teaching tackling. Uh, I think helping young coaches uh, be better coaches, you know, Uh, not put kids in situations for any sport really that make it a great experience. You know, do the best we can to, you know, we're talking about holding some football clinics, you know, with the Ravens. I want to do that. I want to get high school football coaches over because I think those are the football coaches that are making the most difference in America. In other words, they're leading the way for the sport where it really means the most which is which is raising up you know boys to become men with the kind of values that are going to make them successful in life, make them good fathers, good husbands, um, you know, good employees, good citizens. That's one thing about football, I think that's undeniable to people who played the game.
1: And now Doug Peterson of the world champion Philadelphia Eagles.
2: I think number one, it, it starts with the education process that that over the last five, Six, seven years with football. The, the 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 coaching is getting better. The equipment is getting better. What they're seeing from our level, as far as removing, and I know the concerns of concussions and injuries and all that, and I get that and I understand it because I got I got boys of my own. But what we're doing at this level to remove the head from our game um, and, and to go back to proper proper tackling, proper fundamentals, I think speaks volumes to. To every generation, and especially, especially the moms out there that have questions, you know about about the physicality of our sport. I, I, I'm a big believer too that you can get you get injured in anything you do, um, playing soccer, playing lacrosse, playing playing ice hockey, whatever it is. But our sport, number one, it's it's the greatest sport on earth, and there's some great life lessons to be learned through football, and it's and it's becoming a much safer sport than what people think.
1: Here's Mike Zimmer of the Vikings.
2: Well, I think, uh, all the, number one,
1: it's safer now than it's ever been. Uh, number two, all the, uh, all the,
3: the qualities that you get from teamwork, um, under discipline, uh, all the, all the different qualities that you can get. Um, I think it's a great life lesson and, uh, uh, it,
1: it's a great thing for, uh, for young kids. You know, 20 years ago, they didn't have all
3: the, the concussion protocol and all the things they have. Now, I mean, the helmets are getting better. They're doing research on shoulder pads. They're doing, doing research on
1: um, uh, footwear. Uh, I think it's it's probably a lot more safer. It just gets a lot more attention, these injuries.
6: Now Dan Quinn of the Atlanta Falcons. This is a, this is a good topic because um, like it significantly changed my life you know playing football from me growing up in marstown new jersey um some of the youth coaches that had the impact on my life guys like uh you know dave flynn or roger davis you may not know those names but those were like where football the love of the game started for me um being part of a team um is really important you know part of growing up and having me growing up where i did um having that kind of diversity, being a part of football and being on teams every year was a significant impact in my life, like not just in my family, you know, part of that team, but a part of a team at school, uh, being on football, it taught me a lot. And, uh, you know, growing up, that was a big part of, you know, not my identity, but it was a big part of my development, you know, as a young kid being part of a team. So, um, and it is as much fun, you know, for these guys and boys and girls who are now playing to have. So I think those two things, uh, being part of a team, uh, learning about some resiliency, like in most sports, it teaches you all right, didn't always go your way. Uh, football is that way is for sure as well. And so I want them to know that uh, from guys like myself in this position, we take that responsibility to teach it as safe as we can uh, all the way down the line uh, through high school, college, through high school to Pop Warner. Uh, I'm hopeful that they understand uh, it could really have a big impact on their sons or daughters, and, uh, and they'd have a hell of a lot of fun too.
1: And the last word from Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks.
3: Football's a great game, Peter. Um, and it, it brings so much in the whole process of being part of a team of this in, in this sport. Uh, there's so many positive things. There's so much fun. Uh, there's so much challenge. There's so much growth. That there's so many great aspects of the game that uh, whether you're in Dubuque or you're in you know you're in Renton, you know I don't think it I don't think it has anything to do with where you're coming from. I just think it's such a fantastic game. And there's no other game like it that demands so much of the individuals and the process and the intricacies and the teams, the the, the teamwork and all of those things. I think it's a great. It's a great game for for anybody to play. I wish more girls could play it so that they could experience it as well because it's, uh, it's just that fascinating and unique a game.
1: This is the MMQB
5: Podcast.
1: There's a new boss in town at Buffalo Wild Wings, and he deals in bacon. It's the Bacon Boss Burger, featuring bacon three different ways and a blanket of white cheese sauce. And he's joined by other new favorites like the smothered cheese steak quesadilla the Sweet Chili Shrimp, and Alaska Cod Classic. All pair perfectly with a Sam 76, a fruity ale with the crisp finish of a lager. Hurry in today and try them all before they're gone at Buffalo Wild Wings. And please, I beg you, save about seven of those Sam 76s for me. Wings, beer, sports. Available for a limited time while supplies last. And please, drink responsibly.
0: Guaranteed.
6: I'm ready
1: to go. Streaming now only on Peacock. Five rich and famous international soccer stars. They have everything except love. I think girls
2: in the past have gone for me because of what I've got. That's why we're going undercover. We're
1: setting them up with single American women. They don't know we are famous. They don't know we are rich. And they'll have to hide their true identity. <laughs> oh, what do you my? for work?
3: I'm an ad salesman. <laughs> oh god. What am I doing? Love
1: Undercover, new series streaming now only on Peacock.
0: For the world's greatest athletes.
6: This is the showdown we've been waiting for.
0: There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. It's a And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics, unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, this summer on NBC
1: and streaming on Peacock. And now, my conversation with rookie Tennessee head coach Mike Vrabel. Back of the MMQB podcast with Peter King. I'm joined now by the coach of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel. And Mike, when you hear that, when you hear the coach of the Tennessee Titans, Mike Vrabel, you still a little bit shocked as we sit here at the scouting combine and you're sort of getting used to lording over this new team?
7: I wouldn't say shocked. I uh, I would say that I'm humbled to hear that. I'm honored to hear that. I'm excited to hear that.
1: In the process, you did several interviews. And I wanted to know what you learned about what teams want and what teams are looking for when they go into a process looking for a head coach that maybe you didn't know at the start of the process.
7: The first thing I learned is I think you can do a good job and still not get the job. I think you can go and do, do a good job in the interview and not... Uh, Not ultimately end up getting the job. I think that's the first thing I would tell anybody, um, whether that be in coaching or that be in business or life, is that you can prepare for something and you can um, work your way through a situation and and pretty much do a good job and end up not being the right fit because that's, I think, what it comes down to. I think it comes down to fit. I think there's a lot of qualified coaches. I think there's a lot of amazing coaches. There's a lot of great coaches. And uh, what happens is people... They have a vision for what they want their head coach to be or what they want their, um, you know, executive to be. And you have to be the person that, to get it, you have to be the one that they, you know, sit down in front of them and they're like, yeah, we can see this guy leading our organization.
1: Was there a moment when you were meeting with John Robinson, the general manager of the Titans, where you said, A, I think I'm going to get this job, or B, I think I could really mesh with this guy well?
7: I think that happened early on in, in the in the interview process and the conversation that we had with with john and amy and, and her family um, it, it was a comfortable conversation it was it was a quick um five hours and you know just kinda by that time I think I'd done three in the week so um, questions are pretty much all the same they're just <laughs> being asked by a
1: different person you know at the, you, you, it looks like the NFL, uh, you know, really is trying to sort of tweak the rules to make sure that people in the playoffs don't get uh, disadvantaged. And I wonder, what do you think of the whole process? And if you had one suggestion to make that better during the month of January, what would it be?
7: I think that, by not being able to hire someone, it became a distraction as opposed to just being able to hire someone. If you choose to, I think that clearly, if you don't, if you interview three people and there's only one person left, and that person is still in the playoffs, it's pretty clear that that person has gotten the job, and um, or is the very strong favorite to get the job. And I think that as long as everybody's had a chance to interview um, and not interfere with the preparation for for the upcoming game you know I think it would be a good idea for everybody to to just go ahead and move forward with the hiring process it becomes uh you know everybody's a professional you know I mean you're going to prepare for the interview so while you're still playing so you you've handled that I mean you, you prepare at midnight or five in the morning or you just you know take an hour or two uh, at lunch to get ready for the interview while you're still playing so if you get hired, uh, that's not going to change. Um, it's just gonna, Everybody's going to kind of know. And I think that most of the time you hear coaches and people and you talk about, well, we're going to be honest and we're going to be honest with our players and we're going to be up front with them if we make decisions. Um, I think it should probably be, could start there.
1: It strikes me looking at your life in football that you really were always sort of, I don't want to say groomed for this day, but that this day is really fairly natural because of the people who have surrounded you in the sport of football, going back to, you know, when you're a kid. And I wonder, who do you think, obviously you're going to say Bill Belichick to this to some degree, but if you can, give me your two or three like big influences as to why you're sitting here right now.
7: You know, my first experience um, was seeing somebody coach was my dad. I was the uh, I was the ball boy and the manager and the uh, scorekeeper for the basketball team, for the varsity basketball team at Norton, Ohio. And uh, my job was to basically sometime between the first and second quarter, catch his sport coat as he threw it off as he was yelling at a referee and <laughs> wrap it around my head. That was my most important. How old were you? I was probably about six. It's probably six, and that was my job: is to catch that sport coat, and then I'd hand it back to my mom. And then after that, I just had to make sure that the players had water. Uh, so he was probably my first uh, coaching influence. As I was go to practice, and I'd watch him, and we'd. You know, was, what was good
1: about him as a coach?
7: Um, I mean, he was, I think, intense. I think that, uh, you know, it was small town, Ohio basketball. Uh, so most of the gyms were, were crowded. They weren't very big gyms, but it was a great atmosphere. I think that he was pretty passionate um but I remember him you know being around the players I remember the players being around the house um for the Super Bowl or for different things the NCAA basketball I just remember him being around that we had things uh for him, for them for the players you know then then John Cooper you know Fred Pugich longtime coach at Ohio State recruited me Bill Cower. um been blessed to play with a lot of great coaches and four guys, Romeo Cornell, Dean Pease, who we just hired uh, in Tennessee, uh, Gary Gibbs in Kansas City, guys that have been around football for a long time, um, Urban Meyer at Ohio State, and then Billy uh, O'Brien at, in Houston. So I've had a lot of great influences in different parts of my um, life that I've come, been, been, been blessed enough to be in contact with these people.
1: Um, what would you say? I am not saying people forget about it, but I think when people think about your NFL career, they think about the Patriots um, and and sort of the different roles that guys like you and Troy Brown played uh, on those teams. But you had a really interesting career in Pittsburgh, you know, before you got to mm-hmm. New England, and and I think I think Cowers saw you a little bit in the Jack of All Trades role. Master of none? Yeah, yeah. But but tell me a little bit about your 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 Cower experience and your influences from Bill Cower. Just getting to Pittsburgh and being
7: drafted by the Steelers. Um amazing ownership group with the Rooneys and just being blessed enough to to have known um Mr. Rooney. You know and being a young player in that organization and, and walking into that stadium and seeing the players that had played there uh before, having known a lot about that team, you know, being from from Akron, Ohio, being a being a Browns fan, you kinda know uh who the enemy is at the time. And um we had a lot of veterans that are that are in the Hall of Fame. And I had no idea at the time that guys like Dermani Dawson and Carnell Lake and Levon Kirkland and Greg Lloyd and Will Wolford Uh, Mark Bruner, Jerome Bettis, um, would make an impact on my life throughout the next 20 years. I was a 21-year-old kid from Ohio State and walked into a a team that had these amazing veterans. Um, And when I was able to go to New England, that's kind of like, you know, those guys took care of me as I was working through different issues and struggling and having a, you know, late to a meeting or maybe not being... Um, as productive as anybody would want, those guys were always there to help. And Bill was there and his staff was there, but the players were the ones that uh, held people accountable, helped people through. Um, And so that's my first experience to to what a great NFL locker room looked like. Um,
1: What would you say if if I said to you that Belichick – Seems to have been a huge influence on so many people in the game. You know, your general manager, John Robinson, sure. you know, kind of waxes eloquent about Belichick. So, why does Belichick stand above all, do you think, today in the modern game?
7: I think the prolonged, uh, continued success that they've been able to um, experience over the last. 15, 16, 17 years since really 2001. I think that's why. Because he's been able to do it pretty much year in and year out. He's also had people that have left the organization and gone on to to be head coaches. Um, I mentioned the other day where anybody who's ever spent time there is better off having spent time there in and around Mr. Kraft and uh, Bill
1: Belichick. Um. I want to ask you something about your playing career and how it is that you came to be a part-time tight end. Mm-hmm. What happened, and how was that presented to you, and what did you think?
7: So I always liked the idea of getting to the stadium early and, and going out and warming up. And So my idea of warming up was going out on the field and, and, and catching passes. Uh, I was running routes. Drew Bledsoe and I, uh, Drew would throw three hours before the game, pretty much before anybody got out there and some shorts and a T-shirt or whatever I was in and (coughs) started running routes. And I think he went inside and, or one Tuesday or Wednesday, told Charlie Weiss, this guy could probably play tight end. And I don't think they thought much of it, but they would hand me a sheet and say, hey, make sure you know this just in case. Then I would practice it, and then one thing led to another.
1: This would have been in 2000?
7: This would have been probably 2001 or 2. 1, it probably started in 2001, and then yeah. uh, Drew got injured. Uh, and then 2002, I think, is when it might have started. We could only activate two tight ends on a trip to San Diego. And uh, we got the ball down there and went in and... And caught a touchdown pass. We lost the game. Um what I remember most. So kind of came back the next week. And it wasn't a, a weekly thing that first couple years. It was, hey, depending on the roster and the game day roster, just you may or may not be the third tight end. If we have three tight ends, you'll be the fourth. And if there's only two, you'll be the third. And then did okay and then kind of just became the goal line third tight end uh, as the role expanded as
1: the the next five or six years went along. Tell me about your Super Bowl touchdown Um, against Carolina. It was late in the game. Uh,
7: We called 136. Uh, I think it was
1: Y-Cross z and What's the play? What's supposed to happen on the play? So there's a
7: play-action pass to the right and one tight end, uh, the the off-the-ball tight end runs a corner route and the two on-the-ball tight ends basically cross. That's the cross element. And Daniel Graham uh, did a good job of basically getting in the way of the guy that was covering me. (laughs) The old legal pick. Yeah, and uh, Remember who was covering you on the play? I don't. I yeah. don't. I, I. It was a defensive end. It was one of those goal line, you know, snatch man coverage things. Uh, and the guy they ran kind of ran into each other. Next thing I knew, I saw kind of Matt Light blocking, and the ball kind of came between Matt Light and Joe Andrewszi. Um You know, a lot of camera flashes, and then, you know, that was it.
1: How, when you look back on that. I mean, I assume when you're a kid and you start to play football, you think how much fun it would be. Man, can you imagine playing in the NFL? And, man, can you imagine winning a Super Bowl? But you, you're a defensive player, and you scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. So when you think back on that, is that that an odd thing to think about, or is it really a cool thing to think about? I mean, I
7: think it's a cool thing to think about. I don't think about it that much. I really don't. I think... I thought about it a lot last year when the Super Bowl was in Houston, and, um, you know, thinking about, man, 13 years ago, I was on that podium with Tyler, uh, my oldest son, and Tom Brady, and Bill, and Mr. Kraft, and uh, just picturing Sports Illustrated, Tyler was three years old, and he's going to college in the summer, and I'm thinking, holy <laughs>
1: crap, that happened pretty quick, yeah. um, but I really don't give it much thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I, I've always thought this about the Patriots. They they have a 53-man roster, but it's almost like a 58 or 59-man roster because of you know they're not afraid to do things like that, or in a big game to play Troy Brown at, at corner when when you when you need an extra corner, and so I kind of view that as you, you know not even a breaking the mold thing. It's it's just that's one of the things that they've done over the years that in my opinion, is just a smart thing to do. Sure.
7: I think being creative, um, is critical in any type of business. I think it's critical in the national football league. I think it keeps players stimulated. Um, we're hopeful that in Tennessee that we're able to be, you know, as creative as some of the great teams in in this league. Um, hoping that our coaches don't rely on, well, that's how I've always done it, answer. Um, we're hopeful that we can find co- creative ways to stimulate our
1: players to to perform to the best of their ability. Um, with Mike Vrabel, the coach of the Tennessee Titans. Mike, uh, at the Super Bowl this year, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles ran two plays in the Super Bowl for touchdowns. One was a tight end to quarterback option pass, a reverse pass. And then at the end of the game, they ran a play to Zach Ertz that they had never run before for the winning touchdown. And what was so interesting, I think, about both plays and talking to Doug Peterson after the game, that he really felt like, and part of this is because it's the Patriots, you know, the Patriots obviously have do incredible research. They know what they're going to see. They believe they know everything they're going to see in every game because they study so much. But part of what the Philadelphia Eagles did is they tried to invent new things almost every week. And invent is the wrong word. But they tried to run plays... You know, from different formations, different combinations—not just against the Patriots, but against the Vikings, against everybody. And I know a lot of teams do this, but they did a bunch of different things this year. I was talking to Matt Nagy about this, the new Bears coach, and and he said, "I, you know, I think that there's a lot to learn from watching what the Eagles did down the stretch of this season, especially when their quarterback gets hurt." So when you watched Philadelphia this year. Is there any reason to think that you can take something or learn anything from what they did down the stretch of the season?
7: So that wasn't one team. We really had a lot of crossover games for whatever reason that we saw them saw them some when I when I watched and prepared. Um, what I do know is that they went for it a lot on fourth down, so they were aggressive. You know, Doug and his staff were aggressive. Uh, when you talk to me about the plays, and, and I watch the plays in the Super Bowl, um, you know, th- those are plays that they've probably practiced, you know, most of the season, trying to find the right opportunity and the right time. Uh, I think that when you talk about going for it on fourth down, we're going to ask our players to know what to do and play fast and aggressive, right? We're not going to try to make it too complicated. So, being aggressive is something that. Uh, hopefully, we can use to our advantage whether that be in play calling or execution. Uh, when it comes down to the types of plays that we run, I'm all for running um, the, the the best looking plays and the best and the well designed the most well designed plays as long as our players know what to do and they can execute it. So I think that that's a fine line between um, you know having great plays um, and having great plays that your players can execute.
1: Mike, are you do you think that there will be any sort of trend from what we've seen this year with the Eagles, especially on some of the the sort of risk taking plays going forward on fourth down?
7: I mean I think so. I think when you know everybody wants to emulate and and copy what the most successful team in the league or in any business I mean people try to copy the iPod people try to copy um, certain style of car or whatever business business that you're talking about so people will watch the Eagles they'll you know I mean, when you see good teams they try to say well what do they do on defense what do they do on offense uh, what's their special teams look like and that's what people do in the off season so I'm sure that there'll be a lot of people that are studying um, Doug and, and, and the Eagles and what they did.
1: One of the things that they did I thought was fairly interesting, and and for all I know, 29 teams might do it. But I wonder what you think of this. They have different guys on their offensive staff who basically every week uh, might grow, for instance, their receivers coach, and now there's their offensive coordinator, would look at all of the stacks and bunch plays during that week in the NFL. They use pro football focus. And they basically, he would just go through them.
7: Is that a PFF plug that you just had
1: right there? Yeah, that's a PFF plug, yeah. But uh, I don't, they don't even pay me for those. How about that?
7: I'd stop giving them plugs.
1: <laughs>
7: but, yeah, I think that that's something that when you look around the league, um, you can learn a lot. You can watch and see what the trends are, what, what people are doing, uh, situations uh, that come up in the game that may have happened uh, in the West Coast, in the 4 o'clock time slot that maybe otherwise you wouldn't have seen. Um, I think it's good to have people that take a glance at, at, at all the games or maybe what's going on, and I think that any time that we could use companies or, or data like PFF or whoever it may be um, to help us, I think that's a good idea.
1: Finishing up with Mike Vrabel of the Tennessee Titans. So, Mike, for people who watch your team this year what kind of team both on offense and defense are they going to see we're hopeful that they're going to see a uh, a tough
7: physical aggressive disciplined conditioned team uh, that's able to you know not make critical mistakes that are able, that's able to take advantage of the other team's mistakes. There's a lot of close games in this league, um, and I think it's going to be important that we're able to execute under pressure. Um, I think it's important that uh, hopefully it's a developed team, one that gets better and uh, improves over the course of the season.
1: Do you believe that? you have some of the answers to make Marcus Mariota a better football player?
7: I, I mean, I think my relationship in, with Marcus is is critical. I understand that. Um, I can't teach him how to throw. I won't tell him who to read, um, but I can probably try to help him out and uh, maybe we- teach him how to lead. Um, we're going to hold everybody accountable. I'll be held accountable. um It'll never be about one guy. Uh, I understand everybody knows how important the quarterback's position is, but uh, on the on the great teams that I've been a part of it's never been about just one guy it's been about the the team and a group effort and 11 guys on each side of the ball coming together.
1: I'm going to end and ask you this last year, <clears throat> I saw a couple of practices when Houston and New England played in West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you guys went up to West Virginia and you welcomed the Patriots. And one of the things I thought was interesting is after one of the practices, you went and spent about 20 to 30 minutes with Tom Brady. No idea what you talked about, but it's clear that there's a good relationship there and a respectful relationship there. Um, What do you think you would hope to be able to pass along to Marcus Mariota? about tom brady from the years that you've known him and played with him
7: that development uh is something that happens um, every day that you're never uh, done improving as a player uh, that you're able to hold players accountable That you're a tremendous competitor uh, that you care about people that you um You don't forget where you came from, you know. Tom's been been a great friend since we met in 2001, Um, and so it's a different situation now. You know, I'm in a head coach; he's a quarterback. We used to be, you know, a linebacker and a quarterback, but uh, you know, just he was nothing but uh, but good to me, my family, my kids. You know, always uh, I think was very genuine. I think that's important,
1: Mike Vrabel. Really appreciate you taking the time and talking a little bit about your your new team and talking about some of your old teams. Peter, I
7: appreciate it. I enjoy reading the column. Um, when do you press send on that thing? Do you play? You, you send out an email and you you press send. At what time is it? Is that like it's a usually about morning
1: during the season? It's about four forty five a.m. There you m. go. But it's it happens during the night. So in other words, I will, if it's usually about 8,000 words, so I'll write about 3,000 before things happen on Sunday. And then as the night goes on, my editor, Don Bonvesuto, basically is waiting for me to file these little pieces. And then it becomes a little jigsaw puzzle and he gets it up by about five thirty in the morning. It's a lot
7: of good stuff in there, man. I appreciate it. I hey. like I enjoy reading it.
1: Good. Well thank you, Mike. I really wish you the best. You're thank, gonna thanks you're, for having me on. You're gonna have a really, really fun time with this team. So many good players on this team. We'll it's only a have cool fun town. if we, we'll only
7: have fun if we win, I promise you. Yeah. It yeah. won't be any fun if you we don't win. You
1: sound like your father's son. Yeah. <laughs> All the best to you, Mike. Thank you. Thanks to my guests, the very patient coaches who answered my question about why a mom in middle America should allow their son to play football. And thanks to Mike Vrabel, rookie head coach of the Tennessee Titans. If you enjoyed these conversations, be sure to listen and subscribe to other great episodes in the MMQB series, such as my conversations with Bob Costas, Dan Quinn, and Adam Schefter. You can find these on the MMQB.com, on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, anywhere you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a review while you're there you can also hear the mmqb podcast with peter king on sirius xm radio every saturday morning at 7 eastern on mad dog sports radio sirius xm channel 82 thanks to the folks at cadence 13 for their production work and thanks of course to my sponsor buffalo wild wings please support buffalo wild wings the way they support this podcast and i'll see you next week